and and we're starting on chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. And they said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabites, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you that we are gathered here this evening. We praise you for that kindness. We pray that you will let us hear you speak this evening. We want our hearts to be changed. We want our faith to be strengthened. We want our love for you to be warmed. Amen. Think eagle, not chicken. 
That was Matt Fuller's preaching advice to me this week as we were discussing this sermon series. Don't worry, he did give me other advice as well. Think eagle, not chicken. See, there's a lovely verse in chapter 2 of the book of Ruth where it talks about the fact that Ruth has come under the wings of the almighty God of Israel. And we're going to call this series, this new series that we're starting today, Under the Wings of God. Under the Wings of God. And some of the questions that we're going to be looking at throughout this series are questions such as, are the wings of God big enough to draw anyone from any nation to himself? Are the wings of God, is the wingspan wide enough to welcome you if you're from a different background? Is the wingspan wide enough to welcome you if your skin is a different colour? Questions like that. Questions like, are the wings of God strong enough? Do they, are they all-encompassing enough to deal with the minutiae of our lives? Is God just like a sort of a, a standoff manager who gets the big things done, but he doesn't get his hands dirty in the, in the nitty-gritty? Is God in control of everything, really? Even the pain, even the ups and downs, even the seeming randomness of my life are God's wings sort of all-embracing in that sense. Under the wings of God. And Matt said, yeah, that's a, that's a nice image, run with that. But some people, when you say under the wings of God, they're going to think, you know, mother hen with her brood of chickens. And some people are going to think that's a little bit too mushy. So think eagle, not chicken. Well, to be honest, you can think whichever, whichever one you like. If you like eagle, think eagle. If you like chicken, think chicken, as it were. Under the wings of God. Tonight, we start with under the wings of God's steadfast love. Under the wings of God's steadfast love. Have a listen to this quote. The book of Ruth shows us that our actions have consequences. Our lives are not simply the consequence of the various decisions we have made and events that have occurred. As if the universe were a giant supercomputer into which we feed all of the variables and come out with a predictable answer. There is a mysterious X factor that is evident in the book of Ruth. A variable that has the power to change everything. And we're going to see that that hidden variable coming to light through the pages of scripture over this first chapter of Ruth. And we're going to ask the questions tonight. Are Are the wings of God wide enough to welcome me? given what I did when I was 16. Are the wings of God wide enough to welcome me after I did that thing again this week? And if you're not someone who would call yourself a Christian here tonight, perhaps you'd ask the question, is the, is the Christian God the kind of God under whose wings I would like to come and take refuge? So tonight, under the wings of God's steadfast love. You may have noticed that although the book is called Ruth, certainly that first chapter is dominated by Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law. 
And we're going to have a start with having a look at her. Uh, as many of you know, my wife Megan is expecting our first child, um, having a little girl, which is very exciting. So I've, uh, I've learned probably more about what girls' names mean in the last sort of three months than I have, have known before. Uh, and it turns out, uh, from the footnotes you've got in your Bibles, page 267, if you close them, footnote B, Naomi means pleasant. But it seems uh, that there is nothing pleasant about her, and it seems to her there is nothing pleasant about her circumstances by the end of this chapter. Have a look at what she says, verse 20. Don't call me Naomi, that is, don't call me pleasant. She told them, call me Mara, which you'll see in the other footnote means bitter. Don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Why call me pleasant? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now that word, Mara, it's a word used in scripture. It's associated with with regret, with despair, with anger. Emotions many of us will have felt or do feel. Emotions many of the ones we love, feel or have felt. Emotions many people we'd love to tell about Jesus will feel. And we think, gosh, they, they, they could never turn to Jesus because they're, they're too full of regret or despair or anger. How did Naomi get to, to this point? Well, that is what we're going to look at this evening. How did, she, how did she go away full and come back empty? How did she go away being called Naomi, pleasant? And come back calling herself Mara, or bitter. But let's start at the start. Verse one. Have a look at what it says. We're going to see. We're going to see a family going away. We're going to see a nation going away. Verses one to five. See, look how it starts. In the days when the judges ruled, the judges. Now, if anyone knew, knows a bit about their Old Testament history, that sort of immediately sort of sends warning lights flashing. Judges means dark days for Israel. The period of the judges was they, uh, the people were in the land, but there was n- no king in Israel. The judges is sort of the pages in Israel's history, really, that they would have wanted to forget about if they could. Yeah, there were some great stories in the book of Judges. Obviously, there's kind of there's tent pegs being put through people's heads. There's, there's hidden swords. There's Samson's superhero strength. But in terms of the nation of Israel, the country is in free fall. So yes, they're in the land. They're in God's promised land. But in the last five chapters of the book of Judges, the, the country is in free fall. I mean, David Cameron talks about broken Britain, doesn't he? The book of Judges is broken Israel. Last five chapters, you read about the rich countryman who, who just sets up a shrine to any old god that he likes in his own home and gets the Levite priest to come and help him worship these idols. The last five chapters talk about the Levite priest who just shamelessly flaunts his concubine. Talks about a gang of men who wander around a city seeking innocent men or women to, to gang rape. It's an awful time in Israel's history. It is a country, a nation, going away from God. And the verdict, end of, end of Judges, just the, just the page before. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did 
as he saw fit. So Judges is a, is a picture of a, of a country going away from God. The book of Ruth starts with a family going away from God. It starts with a man called Elimelech. Do you see that in verse 1? Or verse 2, the man's name was Elimelech. That actually means God is my king, literally. That's what Elimelech means. And he is in, he is in Bethlehem when there's famine, when the country's going away from God. But he thinks to himself, well, what, what, what can I do? What can, what can one man do in a country that is in free fall? And so he takes matters into his own hands uh, and takes his family to live in Moab. There was famine in the land. That was a sign, that was a warning sign that everything wasn't right. But he took matters into his own hand and took his family down into Moab. He was a family man after all. He had Naomi, his wife, to look after as she repeatedly reminded him, you've got to look after us. He had two sons, Marlon and Killian, to look after. What, What possible good could it have been for him to stay in Bethlehem in the promised land when there was a famine. What possible good could that have done his family? What possible good could that have done his career chances? So they make this plan to leave to Moab. Now Naomi, she's got some good friends. She's taken the advice of the people at at her church. She's in a prayer triplet. And she kind of floats this idea. Oh, we're thinking thinking of moving out to the suburbs, out to Moab. Well, what do you think? Um, they're fairly, you know, they're good friends, so they, they tell her what they think. They said, Naomi, what are you doing? You're thinking of leaving the promised land? You're thinking of leaving the land that God has worked so hard to get us into? You're thinking of leaving the land that God says is the epicenter of his promise to bless the whole world? And Naomi, you, you do realise what these Moabites are like, don't you? You do realise that these Moabites are the people who hired that mercenary prophet, Balaam, to try and curse our people when we came up out of Egypt. You know that, don't you? And Naomi, you do know that those Moabites, it's their women who tried to seduce our menfolk and lead them off after worshipping, lead them off worshipping idols. You do know that, Naomi, right? Her friends say, Naomi, look, I understand that you think it would be better for Elimelech's career to go to Moab. I understand that you reckon that your quality of life is going to be better in Moab, but maybe your faith? How's it going to help that? Maybe your, your boys? Is, is, is Moab the type of place you want to bring up two kids? And she sort of does the, oh, okay, well, perhaps Elimelech and I better pray about it a little bit more. But really, she's decided... They know they're going to Moab. And she justifies it to herself. Have a look. um, Verse 1. Together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while. It's just going to be for a while, okay? That's what she tells the ladies in her prayer triplet. We're just going to Moab for a little while. Don't worry. We'll be back soon enough. And it makes you it makes you reflect, doesn't it? How many how many unwise decisions have we made? Or how many indeed even ungodly decisions have we made just by sort of rationalising it? Oh, it's just for a while. 
Oh, you know, I'll just live like this for a while while I'm at university, then I'll stop. Or I'll just stop coming to SKG for a while because it's exam term. Or I'll, uh, I, I definitely will sort of commit myself to really sort of proper service at church in a while when I've got my career sorted out. But there's Naomi with her family, wandering off down to Moab, where she thinks the grass is greener. Verse 3, only, only tragically, the grass isn't greener. One day, on the squash court with a, with a potential new client, sharp pain in the Limelech's chest, tightness, he pulls up. He's suffered a heart attack. Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. And you wonder, Naomi, at this point, why don't you why don't you cut your losses? Why don't you why don't you go back to God? You've gone away. Why don't you go back to the promised land? Who knows? Who knows what it is that stops her? Perhaps it's the perhaps it's the fear of the kind of the gossiping. There is Naomi. She's the one who went to Moab. She's the one who's who went there and now she's coming, her husband died, now she's coming back. Perhaps it's the fear of the gossip, perhaps it's the fear of the judgmental looks from the other women in her knowing Yahweh group. (laughs) You're listening, good, good, I like that. But anyway, who knows why she doesn't go back at at verse 3. The years roll on, what was meant to be for a while, stretches and stretches and stretches. And besides... Marlon and Killian have met two lovely Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. Now then, the letters she writes back to her friends in Bethlehem, they're not, they're, not, they're not quite believers as such, but, but they're lovely women. They're good for my boys. They make them happy. And surely that's what Yahweh wants for his people, isn't it? To make them happy. But even those marriages, those marriages between her boys and Ruth and Orpah, even those don't redeem her time in Moab, because tragedy strikes again. Remember, you probably heard this quote before, C.S. Lewis wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, he speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. It is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And is, is it only after the pain, verse 5, of losing her two boys, that Naomi begins to listen. Both Marlon and Killian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Naomi's life hasn't been what she thought it would be. It's been a life of drift, a life of compromise. The grass in Moab hasn't been greener. And like, I don't know, maybe there's... Maybe there's one or two here tonight who, who thought that the grass would be greener living a life without God. Who thought that the grass would be greener if you walked away from God. But I'm here tonight because, well, life without God is, is Mara. It is bitter. I don't know. The good news is that God wants to, through his kindness, welcome Naomi back. And God, in his kindness, wants to welcome you back. So verses 1 to 5 going away, verses 6 to 22 coming back. Verse 6, Naomi strikes, cuts a figure of a, of a, broken, a broken woman. 
but but something something is changing doesn't look much in verse 6 when she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return from there God has come to the aid of his people in Bethlehem in the promised land now that word literally it means God visited his people and it kind of makes our sort of Bible ears prick up. It's the, it's the same word used in Exodus, where God saw the suffering of his people and visited them and rescued them. It's the same word that is used at the beginning of the book of Judges, when God answers the desperate prayer of Hannah for a son. God is visiting his people. Something is about to change. Something's about to change for the nation of Israel. Something is about to change for Naomi. A journey paved with kindness is about to begin. A journey that is going to transform Naomi. A journey in which God is going to show his kindness and transform her situation. That journey begins in verse 6. She doesn't know it yet, but things are about to change. And so, verse 7 with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Now I have a bit of a question at this point. I have to say, is Naomi going back to the land of Judah? Judah is, it, is, it, is it genuine repentance? Or is it just kind of worldly, sort of, I want food, I'm going to go where there's food? I, I, I don't know. And commentators seem to slightly disagree on that. There seems to be a bit of evidence of both. She certainly, to some extent, understands that the Lord is good. Look at what she says in verse 8. Then Naomi, then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord, and notice she's still calling him Lord, Yahweh, the name the Israelites gave God. It's not just generic God, it's Lord. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. She said, may the Lord show kindness to you. And do you know what? That word kindness, it's one of those big Bible words. You sort of, it's used for God's covenant faithfulness. It's used for God's steadfast love. It's used often for God's forgiveness of people's sins. And it's sometimes used, like here, for God's kindness. His loving kindness. And to some extent, Naomi recognises that the Lord is the one who can show loving kindness. And she wants the Lord to show loving kindness to Orpah and Ruth because she recognises that if they come back with her, they're not going to find husbands because she's too old. And so she says, I want, you to, I want the Lord to show you kindness. And she manages, and she manages to persuade Orpah. And there's great crying. Verse 10, sorry, verse, verse 14. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. There's weeping. These three women are close. The tragedies of the last ten years have drawn them together. But Naomi says to Orpah, go back. Go back home. Find a husband. May the Lord show you kindness. In Moab. That's the problem, though. That's what makes me think uh, or question just exactly how much Naomi has understood of how good God is. Because look what 
Look how she interprets Orpah leaving in verse 15. Look what she says to Ruth. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. And at that point you think, Naomi, what are you doing? What are you doing trying to send these two sweet girls who you love back to Moab? You're on the journey back to the only God, the only God who shows steadfast love, the only God who shows covenant faithfulness, the only God who truly shows kindness and love. And you're trying to send your daughter-in-laws back to Moab to worship idols who are non-entities, who can do nothing. What, what are you doing, Naomi? Have, have, what have you understood about the God to whom you're returning? Ironically, it seems perhaps Ruth has understood more than Naomi at this point. Ruth, who is, who is a Moabitess, who, you know, is, um, not, uh, she's not Jewish. Look at, look at what she says in verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Now look, they are, they are beautiful words of human commitment. I've been to a wedding where, where, where the bride and groom said those words to each other. They're beautiful words. People have them at weddings. But I think in, in what Ruth says, there, there's something that hints at more than even human commitment to her mother-in-law. Look at what she says, end of verse 16. Your people will be my people and your God my God. And you start to wonder, maybe Ruth gets something about the God of Naomi, that not even Naomi has understood properly yet. Maybe Ruth has heard rumours through her people's storytelling about the God of the Israelites, Yahweh, who in steadfast love rescued his people from Egypt. Maybe she's heard teaching in, you know, comparative RE lessons when she was a little girl about, about Yahweh, the kind God, the God who says he will show steadfast love to thousands. Maybe she's even heard the rumour of the prostitute Rahab, who was an outsider like herself, who was, a, who was a Gentile like herself, who when God's people came into the land, God showed kindness even to that prostitute Rahab. We'll talk more about her next week. Maybe she's heard that. And that is why she says, Naomi, your, gods, your God will be my God. Anyway, verse 19. The two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? So the two women are back. The question I want us to think about for the remainder of our time together is this. You know, essentially what? What kind of God are these two women coming back to? What kind of God are these two women coming back to? See, Ruth seems maybe to get it. She gets that she is coming back to a God whose wings of steadfast love are open wide. With Ruth, there is hope. With Naomi, is there? Look at again how she described herself in, in verse 13. 
No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. And verse 20 again. Don't call me pleasant, she told them. Call me bitter, call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Why call me pleasant? The Lord has afflicted me, and the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now look, in one, in one sense, she's absolutely right. Yeah, she's wise. She recognises that God is in control of all things. And so she says, yeah, the Lord has afflicted me. But this is a bitter woman who's coming back, isn't it? Well, does she understand the kindness of the God she is coming back to? What kind of God is she coming back to? Is she coming back to the kind of God who just says, one, one chance, you mess up and you're out? Or is she coming back to the God of steadfast love, the God of kindness? See, it's interesting. She calls herself Mara. And Mara was a place uh, in the desert, in the wilderness, the Israelite, that the Israelites wandered around for 40 years. It's the place where there was bitter water, where they couldn't drink the water, and they started grumbling against God, saying, God, why is there no water for us? A place of bitterness. But do you know the very next place that the Israelites camped in their wanderings in the desert is a place called Elim. A place where we're told there were 12 pools of water and 70 palm trees. They, the Israelites were bitter in their wanderings when, as it were, over the next sand dune was Elim, a place of blessing. And Naomi is bitter because she can't see that around the corner is God's blessing. She doesn't know at this point what God is going to do for her over the next year. She doesn't know at this point just how wonderful a blessing her faithful daughter-in-law is going to be to her. She does not know how her situation is going to be absolutely transformed and even now she can't see the the inklings of God's kindness around her she can't see that the road back to God is paved with kindness she can't see how God has been working in her life to bring her back she can't see how actually it was a kindness of God that she didn't get comfortable in Moab she can't see how it's a kindness that at the opportune time God visited his people in Bethlehem and brought food to draw her back. She can't see, verse 22, that the barley harvest is beginning. Do you notice that lovely little detail right at the end? Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. In her pain, in her Mara, in her anger, in her regret, God has, God is, God will be showing her kindness. The way back to God is paved with kindness. Paved with the kind of kindness that the New Testament says should lead us to repentance. The kind of kindness that I think will, in time, lead Naomi to repentance. That is the hidden variable that Naomi couldn't see. That kindness is what means that Naomi's story, far from being over, is actually only about to begin.
And look, I don't know your stories tonight. Some of you, obviously, I know better than others. There may be tonight one or two who, who really are broken, like Naomi. Who really are Mara, bitter. Who really wonder, is there a way back to God? What will that road look like? What kind of God will I find at the end of that road? And the answer from the first chapter of Ruth is that the road back to God is paved with kindness. And to be honest, the very fact that you're here tonight even tells me that that God is showing kindness to you. The very fact that you're here tonight tells me that that perhaps, as it were, the, the barley harvest is beginning. And you know, Jesus, Jesus walked his road to the cross. The cross where he would die so that any who would trust in him could be forgiven. Jesus walked his road to the cross that our road back to God could be paved with kindness. And Ruth chapter 1 would say, come home. Come home to a kind God this evening if you've wandered away from him. Many, I'm aware, won't, won't be someone as such in Naomi's shoes who's, who have drifted over, over ten long years. Many of us will be people who have come to that kind God, who have claimed forgiveness on the basis of Jesus' blood. But many of us, won't we, be people who even this week, perhaps yesterday, perhaps even today, have walked back away from God, down that same wretched road that we promised to ourselves we wouldn't walk back down again, away from him. The message of Ruth chapter 1 would be to say the road back to God is still paved with kindness. Whether you've walked away for 10 years like Naomi, whether it's just the disobedience of a week, come back to a kind God. Come back to a God who is not there with a clipboard when to cross out all the last chances you've blown. Come back to a God whose wings of steadfast love are open wide. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your kindness. We praise you for your steadfast love that goes before us. Help us to see the signs of your kindness and your steadfast love to us. Whether we have wandered from you over a week or a day or over many years, we pray that we will be people tonight who come back to you, the God of kindness, the God of steadfast love. Amen.